Didomi is a Greek word meaning to give or has given. God gave, Didomi, and out of gratitude, we give back to our neighbors and to our community, Didomi. My name is Michael Mutzner, with Christian friends working in organizations that advocate for justice and peace. We put together the Didomi podcast in order to share on what we are working. Welcome to the fifth episode of the Didomi podcast. My co-host for this episode is uh, Ari Depater. Ari is the Brussels representative of the European Evangelical Alliance, and he's joining me from Brussels uh, while I'm currently in Geneva. And we have the pleasure to be joined from Colombo, Sri Lanka, by Yamini Ravindran, Atoniat Law and the Director of Advocacy of the National Christian Evangelical Alliance of Sri Lanka. She's also Executive Director for the Religious Liberty Commission of the Asia Evangelical Alliance and the Board Member of the World Evangelical Alliance. Welcome, Yamini and Ari. Good morning, Michael. Thank you, Michael. So uh, in this episode, we will discuss uh, with Yamini Christian advocacy for freedom of religion and human rights in South Asia. And this includes a, a number of countries, and we'll hear also examples uh, from countries such as Myanmar, Nepal, Bhutan, and Sri Lanka. So we look forward uh, for this interview with you, uh, Yamini. And uh, some, sometimes people don't realize that, but Asia is actually the continent with the highest number of evangelicals, with uh, over 200 million evangelicals, according to estimates. Uh, it's also the continent where two out of five Christians are facing persecution, according to the Open Doors World Watch List uh, 2021. Uh, Yamini, do you agree with Open Doors' assessment on persecution of Christians in Asia? And uh, what's your personal assessment in your capacity of uh, executive director of the Religious Liberty Commission of the Asia Evangelical Alliance? Thank you, Michael. Before I kind of touch base on the World Watch list, I would like to give my thoughts on Asia, because if you take Asia, it's becoming very, very complex. And there are so many new, new dynamics which are emerging. And in the last few years, we saw how there has been a rise in nationalist sentiment around the world. And in particular, Asia, uh, in, in this sense, has not been spared as well. In Asia, we see a very strong rise in religious nationalism. Interestingly, if we survey some countries like India, Maldives, Bhutan, especially in South Asia, we have seen how political power has been consolidated on the basis of nationalism, which is driven by a majority religious identity. In Myanmar, for instance, we see Buddhist extremists and um, how the military has waged a campaign of ethnic cleansing against Rohingya Muslims. And then we also see similar trends, particularly in Indonesia, where the upshot of this has been the increased challenges faced by religious minorities in this context. For instance, in Indonesia and Bangladesh, we have seen how traditional moderate Muslim politicians are adopting hardline stances to appeal to conservative uh, electorates as well. So Christians, unfortunately, who happen to be a minority in most of these countries across Asia, have as a result faced increased pressure, discrimination, hate, and targeted violence as well. And um, we also see that Christians are facing challenges not only from extremist religious elements in society, but a dominant driver of persecution 
in the context like India, Pakistan, and Bangladesh has also been government repression as well. And we have seen how laws increasingly have been used to curtail freedoms of Christians in these contexts as well. For instance, the anti-conversion laws or even the digital security laws in Bangladesh as well. Um, so, Yamini, sorry to interrupt, but so you're saying that it's, it, well, Pew Forum uh, recognizes societal pressure and pressure from uh, from governments. So are you saying with you were referring to nationalism? Um, so is that societal or is, or is that government pressure? And can you give some examples then about that? Sure, Ari. In my opinion, societal and governmental repression are interconnected. And whenever in, in Asia, very particularly if we see in South Asia, where uh, there are communities that come from majority religious identity, the governments usually in these countries have brought in regulations and practices to actually restrict the freedom of religion or belief of minorities in that country. And when they do bring in these regulations and policies uh, as such, then there is an increase in societal persecution because extremist elements within those societies would actually use these policies and regulations as a tool to further discriminate uh, Christians mm. in particular in those countries. So for me, um, as much as, yes, according to Pew Forum, there is an increase in societal persecution, for me, it's also very much interconnected with each other. Uh, looking at the the uh, how these states most often want to appease their majority population for also voter base, and uh, for electoral, um, you know, advantages as well. In in relation to that, uh, what strikes me is that uh, South Asia is a is a very religious diverse region, uh, but it seems that the trends that you're mentioning uh, are uh, cross regional, so they then they seem not to be connected to one specific religion. Rather, religion seems to be misused in a similar way. In those countries, uh, majority religion, religious feelings are, are misused, maybe in in a nationalist way, uh, against religious minorities. Can we say that? I would definitely say there is a rise in religious nationalism in South Asia, and yes, uh, very particularly people in authority and in power, I think, would use that and would kind of fuel that sentiment as well, and also use that sentiment as a tool. Uh, for their own advantages as well. And I think it's a very, very complex situation where you can't pinpoint to one factor per se, but there are so many drivers that kind of contribute to that. But definitely, yes, religious nationalism is on the rise and a contributory factor to that is governmental repression and how those in power are using this for their advantage and doing these different interventions to kind of garner support for themselves as well. Okay, thank you, Jamini. Can can you give me an example or two about well about the countries? Because I think for for many listeners, um, South Asia is is quite abstract. We mentioned some countries, but can you give some examples of, about evangelical Christians in the in this region and how government is is approaching them? So if we take Bangladesh, for example, we can see 
uh, how the Digital Security Act was introduced in 2018 and how it was a very repressive act. And uh, the, the officials and the people in, you know, in power, they are using it to kind of target religious minorities in those countries. If we take India, for instance, and the anti-conversion laws, we can see how the anti-conversion laws are used against ethnic and religious minorities only in, in particular. And even if we take Indonesia and there are laws and regulations in terms of regulating religious worship and so on, or even Nepal, when it comes to the anti-conversion laws and the regulations that have now been put into place, are mostly used against religious minorities and Christians in particular, I would say. And are Christians in, in these countries, are they in, in any position to influence these debates or, or these laws? Is there anything that you either alone or collectively in Asia can, can do about it? Most of the times, Christians would be a minority in these countries. And um, influencing laws and policies would really mean that they would have to take a collective effort, a collective initiative. And I personally don't believe they can do it on their own. And by being able to collectively take action together with others in their communities as well, I really do believe they can have an influence and they can make an impact. However, it's a very long journey. And um, and I think there are so many things that need to be done in the process as well. Uh, so what can we do? Because usually it doesn't make headlines in our country. Um, uh, well, I can't remember. I've read anything about Bhutan or um, well, India sometimes, Nepal hardly ever so so what can we what can we do then as international community to to help you or to stand with our brothers and sisters in terms of what can the international community do i think would be to first really be able to work with the national alliances in those countries to understand the real problem and what are the root causes for this kind of persecution that is being leveled against Christians. And then to work alongside with those alliances by equipping them and uh, uh, educating them on how to take up international advocacy as well. And I think in instances when they are unable to reach out to certain stakeholders and so on, to be able to reach out and take up those issues and to be able to speak up strongly and to be able to advocate on those issues and raise awareness in the international community as to the issues and different levels of persecution that's going on against Christians in these South Asian countries. Well, yeah, thanks for that and for, for highlighting how important it is to, to support also uh, sound and representative institutions, which are also very helpful to, to give a voice to, to the Christians and to the minorities. What would you say are the deeper root causes of the trends that you have mentioned earlier? So we understand that there's this rise of religious nationalism and um, social pressure, but w what's the deepest root cause? Would you say, for example, that uh, there's a scapegoating of minorities or, or other dynamics at stake here? 
I would say, Michael, there are different deep-rooted causes. One would also be that Christianity is seen as a colonial tool and as a Western religion in almost all these countries. And secondly, I would say that in these countries, we, as, we see a trend where religion is politi politicized and how religion is used as a tool to consolidate power and to appeal to the majority voter base, you know. And in each of these countries, we see a very clear religious majority and how there are unsubstantiated fears that these religious majorities have about the minorities in those countries. And particular in this context, I would say Christians. So that I would say is, is a deep rooted cause and also how politicians in several of these occasions would use these as tools to kind of garner support for themselves and to fuel these unsubstantiated fears and, you know, false ideas that most of these communities would have. Uh, and they would portray themselves as champions and the rights of the majority. And I think these issues have been issues that have been working along in, in decades and is mm. still to be addressed. And we really need to understand sometimes why uh, people feel this way and what are these fears that they have and to be able to actually counter those fears and to tell them, in fact, most of those fears are unsubstantiated fears. Uh, I guess the anti-conversion laws that can be found in several uh, of the of the countries of the of the region are a good example of that, right? They seem to be playing out certain fears or certain false beliefs about uh, minorities spreading their faith, you know, in a in an unethical way. Um, what's your response to to those claims, for example? That's a tricky question, Michael. <laughs> so minorities, okay. minorities, I can't speak for everyone, uh, but I, you know, when, when we say minorities advancing their faith in unethical ways, I would say largely that is, uh, that's a false accusation because what is, what is converting someone in an unethical way? I mean, for, for example, if you were to even, uh, uh, for instance, um, if they say you give something to somebody and that is why they are converting their religion, uh, mm -hmm. then in another thought to challenge that idea would be if they do that, they can always go back again. So then why don't they do that? You know, uh, just to receive the gift, then they can always go back again. But a lot of these families and a lot of these people do not go back again uh, so mm. that must say something that it is not that incentive uh, that a lot of these people are falsely accusing of uh, is the very reason that there, there's something deeper to that and uh, also even according to international laws and uh, conventions each person and each individual has the freedom to adopt religion of their choice or a belief of mm -hmm. their choice and i think we should look at freedom of religion or belief in that light rather than seeing it in all other different dimensions yeah and my, my impression is also that th this is the kind of 
um, tools that are created to um, that, that enhance a, a climate of harassment and of suspicion. But um, in the countries where these laws are in place, there's almost never a case leading to a condemnation where there is any proof that uh, such an ethical way of uh, sharing faith has happened. But nevertheless, the, the fact that the law is there and that it can be used to, to accuse people mm-hmm. creates a climate. And mm-hmm. this is something that the Special Rapporteur on Freedom of Regional Belief, for example, has denounced in, in relation to India. But it seems to, it seems to be something used also in other countries, including, for example, in, in Nepal, in, in the Constitution. So it, it, it looks like, from, from my perspective, that um, instruments are created to, to fuel this climate of mm-hmm. suspicion towards minorities. And I would just like to add a point to that, Michael. I think this is, uh, if my memory is correct, uh, research that uh, Pew Forum did in global restrictions in 2016 um, and where they brought in a connection between legal restrictions and the rise of extremists in countries and where they said that whenever governments impose legal restrictions in countries, there is invariably a rise in extremism Mm. in those countries as well. And they brought in a connection between those two elements, which I thought was very interesting Mm. and maybe a point to just add to this conversation as well. Yeah, we were already, um, Yamini, we were already discussing root causes briefly. Um, And I was wondering, because this is... In all these countries, Christians are in the in the minority, and there is some bad press uh, about Christians. But is there an opportunity to work with other minority groups or other groups in these countries to defend and promote freedom of religion or belief for all people? There definitely is an opportunity. I would take Sri Lanka as a case study for that, and the alliance in Sri Lanka. If we look at the landscape of freedom of religion or belief in Sri Lanka, uh, for over two decades, there has been uh, violations against uh, religious minorities. But very particularly since 2012, there was um, increased violence against the Muslim community as well. And when this happened, uh, the evangelical Christians and the Muslims, we were able to collectively take initiatives together in promoting... Mm freedom of religion or belief in the country uh, for the greater good, uh, where we were able to collectively work together on documentation, on collective initiatives, on advocacy, uh, both locally and globally as well. And this really, I would say, brought together uh, the minorities in, in the country together and for us to you know, stand um, collectively on issues that affected all of us. And that, I would say, really had a positive uh, impression and an impact, even in the work that we do. Uh, Yamini, yeah, I was wondering also if you could uh, elaborate on the uh, regional geopolitics uh, in South Asia and their impact on FORB. Is, is that also playing a role in, in the trends that, that you have highlighted? For instance, I I would like to maybe touch a little bit on the China effect. Now, if you take countries like Nepal, Pakistan, Bangladesh, 
they seem to be using the US China rivalry to avoid criticism for their own lapses uh, i feel in human rights and authoritarian governance by threatening deeper ties with china so i think that has had an impact on forbes as well also deeper ties with china has come up with significantly lower or no demands in terms of better human rights conditions uh, from the receiving states um and something else that you know we have been able to notice is extremist groups are partnering across geographical lines in south asia so for example the hindutva in india has made its way up mm. to nepal down to sri lanka mm. groups such as rss uh, shiv sena which have political clout in india with the bjp and they are actually setting up shop in neighboring countries as well and we can see um clear um influences of rss groups in sri lanka where they have uh, you know conducted meetings and um, even given certificates to people uh, in the name of you know uh, hindu extremism and so on so it's and having said that i i would like to comment that it's not just hindu extremism but also buddhist and islamic extremism which is following suit as well so if we take sri lanka the main conspirators behind these ter- attacks in sri lanka worked closely with the terror cells in south india as well so i would say those are some of the links and the trends that i have noticed in terms of geopolitics in south asia michael okay thank you my my last question from from my part um, maybe ari has something else to ask but for my part would be uh what signs of hope do you see you know the trends seem to be negative in the region is is there any si- sign of hope you know that the trend could reverse at some point uh and what gives you you know the strength and the motivation to to continue to advocate for freedom of religion or belief with the hope that uh, uh the situation will get better i don't particularly foresee a very positive trend in the future mm. Um, however yeah. what gives me hope is the fact that um god has given us a platform and he has given us the strength and the wisdom uh, to be able to bring about change in the smallest way that we possibly can and yeah. i'm a firm believer that advocacy is to be done at the community level as well and if we really want to bring about change we can't do it alone we need to do it collectively and we need to do it with others and mm. the hope that i see is the community that we are working with and that is in relevance to all countries i think the people that we work with and the fact that we are in a position to be able to influence or bring about the slightest change in the mindset in the minds mm-hmm. of people and that i find hoping mm. would be able to unite people in the grassroots level in the communities and bring them together i would just like to give you an example a mm. very small example and in that question michael um in 2015 we had a interreligious youth camp where we brought together uh, 150 or so youth Uh, on to train them on peace on reconciliation and being able to understand each community and thereafter we 
uh, you know, grouped them into groups and gave them grants to actually go back into their communities and for them to do the very work that we taught them how to do and, you know, to implement those programs. So there was this youth group in Kandy who went and implemented a program in their own community, which we equipped them for. And when they came back to report to us on what they did and how they progressed, uh, they said there was a, um, a young boy who came to their program, one of their own colleagues. And after the end of their program, he wore uh, a T-shirt, which, which had an extremist connotation to it. Uh, and mm. right after coming for his training with his friends and he sat through it, he left the meeting and he removed the T-shirt and he went back <laughs> bare-bodied. And for me, that gives me hope, you know, yeah. the fact that we are able to influence by mm. God's strength and the favor that he gives and That is mm. what keeps me going. Well, thank yeah, you. Thank you. That's a wonderful That's positive that. note to, to end this episode, um, uh, yeah. Jamini. And, uh, and there's there's a lot of stuff that we could continue uh, a conversation on, uh, like how we can work together, uh, regional politics, uh, and the influence in in South Asia. So let's continue the conversation in the next episode. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you, Ari, and thank yeah. you, Michael. Thank you, Yamini. Thank you, Ari. And um, this brings me to the transition actually to our next episode where we'll be continuing with Yamini and we will be continuing precisely on that topic of uh, Christian advocacy, Christian witness um, and best practices using also examples from Yamini's own experience and work to hear more about uh, concrete and um, constructive ways to pursue advocacy and Christian witness in uh, this challenging context. So we look forward to uh, continuing our next episode with Yamini and now uh, for you listeners uh, thank you for uh, having followed us and listening to us uh, we invite you to subscribe to our podcasts on the various uh, applications and uh, you can of course also rate us and follow us uh, also on twitter uh, didomi underscore ceo thank you and uh, we look forward to hear your feedback and uh, to have you with us in the next episode <laughs>